Well, hey, good morning, church family. Uh, it is good to be with you here today. Uh, I, I know this service looks a little bit different uh, from what we're normally used to on a week-to-week basis, but I trust and pray that our time together here will nonetheless be fruitful and meaningful for you and your family or whoever you're watching with, uh, wherever you are. And so we're glad you're here. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the campus pastor over at Alliance Christian Fellowship with our campus ministry. And I serve alongside a a team of sponsors and leaders and staff leaders who have given their time and energy towards investing in our campus uh, in unique ways this last year. Uh, You may not know this, but we have several folks from within our church family uh, who regularly invest in the lives of our college students and our college ministry. Folks like Phil and Elaine Savage, who have been instrumental in pouring into our students uh, on campus. Folks like Brad and Susie Alters, uh, who, who managed to bring the energy level up just a few notches. Uh, folks like Josh and Belen Bowman, who uh, were actually once ACF students of ours, now serving on staff with us. They have been uh, absolutely vital to the life of our ministry as well. And many of you know my wife, Nicole, serves uh, in ministry with me as well. And, and I'm so thankful for these leaders and, um, uh, who have led so well in such a unique time in our history. Um, But I also want to say thank you to you, uh, our mother church, our sponsor church, for your endless support. Uh, Whether you've prayed for ACF or or you've given to ACF financially or your time and energy in whatever ways, I just want to say thanks for your ongoing support and love for our beloved campus ministry. Uh, And I would simply encourage you, keep it coming, church. Keep it coming. God's not done on campus. He's got lots more to do, and we need all the support and prayer that we can get. And so uh, here today, before we even dive into the message, I just wanted to say we appreciate you, church family, uh, from our campus to, to our mother church. We love you guys. And so today, uh, I have the great joy of bringing God's word to you. In fact, we're going to be focusing in on a single word today. Uh, as we move into the second part of this series, 40 Days of Prayer, I want us to look at a particular aspect of our prayer lives uh, that can be summed up in this one single word. And that word is repentance. Repentance. Oh, this is going to be a fun one, church. Repentance. Hold on tight, all right? I don't know about you, uh, but I can't remember the last time I heard a sermon on repentance. Uh, I, I know for me, it's, it's been a while. And, and I think a big reason for that is we don't generally like to talk about subjects like repentance, right? Uh, for instance, when we think about the word repent, uh, what's the first thought that comes to mind? We often think about the street corner preacher who's holding up a sign that says in big, bold letters, repent, right? And, and more often than not, he's got a megaphone in his hand to accompany his message. And, and I think for many of us, me included, that imagery makes us feel just a tad uncomfortable, right? Because that imagery doesn't always feel like Jesus to us. It doesn't always feel like the heart of the Father, nor does it seem to portray the the God of the Bible that that we read about in Scripture. Uh, But if you take a step back, church, if you take a step back, and you look at that word repentance for what it actually means, you begin to realize that The street corner preacher is actually not an accurate representation of the word repentance. Rather, the more accurate picture would be more like a beautiful butterfly. (laughs) Now hear me, okay? In the New Testament, the word repentance is actually translated from the word metanoia. 
All right, say it with me, metanoia, which quite literally means to change or, or transform. That's actually where we get the word metamorphosis, the way a caterpillar would metamorphosize. I think that's a word, I'm not sure. Don't, don't, don't stone me for that, but we'll just say it is. The way a caterpillar would metamorphosize into a chrysalis, and then that chrysalis would then metamorphosize into a beautiful butterfly. That is metanoia, right? Metanoia. Now, as believers, from, from a, a, a scriptural, biblical standpoint, the metanoia that we undergo is not an outward vessel metanoia transformation, but it's a transformation of the heart and soul. It's this process of moving away from this in order to move towards that. It's moving away from my old self in order to walk in my new self, Romans chapter 6. It's moving away from these values that I once held and now moving towards a, a new set of values that I now hold on to. It's shifting my beliefs and perspectives that, that once directed my life and it's now moving towards a, a new set of beliefs, uh, shifting towards a new set of perspectives that now govern my life. You know, I'll often hear this from, from new, growing, budding believers. They'll, they'll say things like, you know, the things I once chased after no longer seem important to me. The things I used to crave, I, I just don't have an appetite for anymore. I actually, I actually want more of God in my life. I don't want all that old stuff. I actually want to pick up my Bible and start reading it. I want to be in a Christian community. My, my old life just seems off-putting. I want to chase after this new life in Christ Jesus. You see, what they're experiencing is the process of repentance, this transformational process of moving away from in order to move towards. And we see an incredible picture of this in Scripture, in Psalm chapter 51, in the life of King David. You can turn there now if you'd like, but as you're turning there, let me, let me quickly remind you of the story and fill you in if you're not familiar with this part of Scripture. This psalm is embedded in this story. We all remember the story of David and Bathsheba, right? David catches a glimpse of this beautiful woman that captures his heart, and he's led down this dangerous path of infidelity, of taking this woman as his own, right? And when David finds out that she's married to Uriah, he devises this plan, crafts this plan to have him murdered out in the field. I mean, I'm convinced that this is where Lifetime movies get their ideas, right? This is the OG Lifetime movie right here, David and Bathsheba. Now, while David is, is caught up in this web of sin, lies, adultery, deceit, murder, his friend Nathan, the prophet, approaches him. By the way, if you have prophetic friends in your life, don't fear them. Embrace them. Embrace them. Sure, they might be reading your mail, but, but they're actually gifts from God to call us closer to him and closer to his heart. And so I would urge you to find the Nathans in your life and welcome them. Welcome the voice of God. Anyway, in this story, Nathan confronts David about his sins. And long story short, David is brought to ruins after this conversation. He's completely shattered. And in this state, he prays a powerful prayer of repentance. And that's what we have in our Bibles as Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance. And I think God wants to show us a few things here today through this powerful psalm. So I want you to look with me, starting at verse 1, and we'll carry through to about verse 17. Psalm 51, hear the word of the Lord. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. 
According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Holy Spirit of God, speak to us now through your word. Illuminate your text to us and speak a now word to us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, there's a lot there. There's a lot there in Psalm 51. We can, we can spend all day unpacking this psalm, but, but we don't have all day. So instead, let me walk you through uh, what I'll call the five phases of repentance as outlined in Psalm chapter 51. When we come before God in repentance, we must first, number one, start with His loving kindness. We need to start with His loving kindness. Do you notice how the passage opened up? The passage opens up by simply acknowledging the loving kindness of our God. David says, he says very simply, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, you can have mercy because of your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Friends, hear me. The reason why David knew the road to repentance was accessible, was possible, was because he knew the nature of God. He knew the loving kindness of God. The apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 2. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not anything else. And this is a vitally important starting point for us. We can't start the process of repentance anywhere else. Because if we start anywhere else, hear me, it won't take us down the road to true lasting metanoia. If we start with guilt, for instance, it may start us down the road to change, sure, but it won't last. Hear me, guilt-driven motives never last for the long haul because feelings of guilt eventually fade away. Come on, you know this, right? And then we're back to square one. If morality is the goal, moral living, again, it, it may start us down the right path, but eventually the burden of, of morality will be too wearisome for us to carry on our backs. Morality alone is never a good reason to move towards repentance. It's only when we see the heart of God, the nature of God, 
the character of God, and we see how misaligned our lives are to the heart and the nature and the character of God, that we truly begin down the path of righteous, true repentance. When we get a glimpse of just how good God is, we get a glimpse of just how not good we are. Amen? That's why Isaiah's response to the, to the character of God in Isaiah chapter 6 was, Woe is me! I'm coming undone! I'm a man of unclean lips! That revelation came to him only after he encountered the true nature and the character of God. See, church, the only thing that will bring us to true repentance is an encounter with the unchanging, forever eternal nature of our good God. Any other starting point won't bring us down that path. And so in our prayers of repentance, perhaps, perhaps, just maybe, a good way to start would be, oh God, you are infinitely good. Your mercies for me never end. Your love for me is not contingent on my performance, but your loving kindness for me runs and runs and washes over me without fail. So I praise you for that. Start your repentance journey there. Start with his loving kindness. But then after starting with God's loving kindness, we've got to move to phase two in the process. And that is, we must be honest about our sins. Be honest about your sins. This might sound obvious, but, but did you notice how David in Psalm 51, he didn't hold any punches on himself. Did you, you see how, treat, how he treated his once hidden sins, right? In, in Psalm 51, in, in verse two, he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. He owns it and cleanse me from my sin. He's acknowledging this is no one else's sin but mine, okay? No one else is at fault here but me. I'm the one to believe. This is my iniquity, my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David treats his sins with a level of severity that I don't see very often today. He, he treats his sin with a kind of brutal honesty that cannot go unnoticed. I mean, he is undeniably honest about his sins. You see, true repentance requires you to get honest about your junk, about your stuff. Repentance usually doesn't happen in the dark. It happens when you bring what's in the dark into the light. You see, that, that, that's what confession is. Confession that goes hand in hand with, with repentance. Confession that leads to repentance is first exposing the hidden sins in your life, but then agreeing with God with what he sees in your life. Confession is saying, yes, Lord, I agree this is an offense to you. I agree that this thing in my life grieves you deeply. I agree that what you're seeing in me is not in line with who you are. That kind of honesty will without a doubt lead you down the path of true repentance. But you can't turn away from something you're, you refuse to acknowledge, that you refuse to get honest about. You know, this happens a lot when, when I'm talking with students on campus, with, with ACF and working with college students. When I'm counseling a student, the majority of my time is spent trying to get them to see the broken and sinful places of their own lives and to try to help them own it. And usually it takes a good two to three, maybe four meetings before a light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, okay, now I see what you're talking about. I see it now. But church, I'm the same way, right? It takes me a little while. But listen, if we were honest with ourselves, we're, we're all a bit like that. Because let's face it, it's much easier to be, to be honest about everyone else's sins before being honest about my own. 
but, but, but it's much easier to, to point out other people's flaws than to unearth my own. But in order to walk in true repentance, we've got to get to a place where we say, like David, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I see it against you, God. You only have I sinned. Be honest about your sin. Third phase. Here it is. Have a vision for where you're headed. Have a vision for where you're headed. You see, it's not enough to just leave your sins behind you. You've got to know what you're moving towards. You have to have a sense for where you're headed. Otherwise, you'll fall right back into the same patterns and habits that you thought you were leaving behind. Can anyone say amen to that? You've been there, right? Yeah, like, so David knew. David knew where he was headed. He knew his sins, but he also knew where he was headed. He had a clear vision, a crystal clear picture of what was ahead of him. He says, I want to hear joy and gladness. Right? I, I, want, I want the bones that have been broken to pieces to rejoice. I want a clean heart. I want a renewed spirit. I want to be so close to the presence of God. I want the Holy Spirit of God near me and dwelling inside of me. I, I, I want the joy of my, my salvation restored. Friends, David had a vision for where he wanted to be. You, you see, when we pray prayers of repentance, hear me now, it can't just be Oh God, I'm sorry for this sin. I messed up, Lord, forgive me. Prayers of repentance are also prayers of hope. A hope for a better future. A hope for a better way forward. You see, prayers of repentance leads us towards God's preferred future for your life and mine. And so when we pray prayers of repentance, friends, I'm telling you right now, you better have a God-inspired vision for where you're headed. Not just the sin you're leaving behind, but the God-inspired vision for where God wants to take you. One of the things that my wife and I love to do is we, we love to come alongside young dating couples and help them grow in their relationships, right? Like this is part of what we do at ACF. During our time at ACF, we've counseled a bunch of dating couples, many of them who have now since gone off to be married and, and, and some of them are starting their own families. It's crazy. It's all very exciting stuff. Uh, but one of the things that my wife and I will often do in the dating stages of a young couple's life is, is work them through a little exercise. We would have them take out a piece of paper and draw on it a box, and that box would represent their relationship. And we would ask them to write on the outside of the box all the things that they want to keep out of their relationship, right? And so they would, they would say things like, you know, like crossing physical boundaries was inevitably one of them, you know, keeping negative talk at bay or, or being alone together too much, you know, like these things. And they would begin to create these boundaries, these guardrails. And these were great. These were things that they were committing to keeping out of their relationship. And then we would ask them to think about the things that they want to fill their relationship with and go ahead and write those things inside the box. And almost always, it's in that moment that all of a sudden the couple's eyes widen and they begin to dream and cast vision for their relationship. And, and what, imagine what a Christ-centered, God-centered, gospel-driven relationship could be and look like. Now all of a sudden the things outside of the box don't seem all that hard to keep outside of the box, right? Because what's in the box is so much more compelling. It's so much more attractive. It captures their vision and their heart. You see, repentance, friends, is much like that box exercise 
Repentance is as much of what you want to leave outside of your life and shed from your life as much as it is what you want to fill your life with. Repentance is not just about moving away from sin, but it's also moving towards godly righteousness. And that's why it's so important to have a vision for where you're headed. Creating me a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me, right? Have a vision for where you're headed. This fourth phase. This fourth phase is not so much an action item as much as it is a pause and remember. It's not a real tangible thing you can really do here, but it's just as critical. And this fourth phase is this. Remember this is God's work. Remember this is God's work. No one else's. This is God's work. If you look at, take, do this little exercise. If you look at the action words in this passage in Psalm 51, you'll notice that it's all on God's part. It's all his activity. Wash me, purge me, cleanse me, create in me, renew me, cast me not away, restore unto me, deliver me, open my lips that I might praise your name. Friends, let me ask you, who is the one who does all of these things? The answer is right up here. It's God. True metanoia doesn't happen because we tried hard enough or we strived long enough or we worked our way, plowed our way through transformation. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 3, it's the Spirit who gives birth to Spirit. The transformation of a heart and soul is God's work. Some of you might remember this passage in Ezekiel 36. God says, what does he say? And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. It's God who does this. And I will remove the heart of stone from your heart, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Friends, look, I mean, is this not a picture of repentance right here? exchanging a heart of stone with a beating heart of flesh. I mean, talk about a complete 180. Talk about a complete transformation. But again, let me ask you, who does that work? It's God and only God. Now listen, this does not mean that we have no part in the act of repenting. Repenting actually requires a conscious choice on your part and my part if we're going to be turning away from something and turning towards something. It's obvious, right? We can't do that unconsciously. But listen, God is the one who plants that desire in us in the first place. That's why some people call this the gift of repentance, because God is the one who gives us that desire to turn away from sin and say no to this in order to say yes to God in the first place. It's God who does that. According to Jesus in John chapter 16, you know this passage, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us, which then changes us. And as he changes us, we begin to walk in a new way. We begin to think in a new way. We begin to truly live repentant lives. And it's all because the Holy Spirit of God is renewing us from the inside out. This is God's work. And we're simply partnering with him in the heart change that he's wanting to bring about in you and me. Remember, this is God's work, which leads me to my fifth and final phase. And that is, find ways to keep your heart soft and tender. Find ways to keep your heart soft and tender. I love the way David put it in verses 16 and 17. Did you see it? He said, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, right? The, the, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, or a repentant heart, oh God, you will not 
despise. And what is David saying here? In this moment of complete transparency and vulnerability, David got called out in a big way, right, by his buddy Nathan. He's come face to face with the weight of his sins. He's realized what he's done in this moment, and his heart is feeling all the remorse and agony of his actions. In the midst of all of that, David is essentially saying, okay, God, I have a sneaking suspicion that you would rather meet me here in my brokenness than at the altar of sacrifice. You actually want my heart before you receive my gift. Friends, I'm here to tell you today that no amount of religious activities or moral living or spiritual behavior will be enough to replace a soft and tender, even broken heart before the Lord. You see, a hardened heart will never reach true repentance. In fact, the chances are if you come across an unrepentant person, an unrepentant soul, more often than not, what you'll find is that that person is wrestling with a hardened heart. And they may mask themselves in religious activity and right behavior and right sacrifices. They might look the part, but inside their heart is completely hardened. And a hardened heart will never reach true repentance. That's why it's so important to keep your heart soft and tender. How do you do that? Well, to be honest, that's another sermon in and of itself. We don't have time for that. But for now, just do what David did. Ask the Holy Spirit to soften your heart. He'll do it. I promise you, He always does. Holy Spirit, soften my heart. Listen, church, if our prayer lives are void of prayers of repentance, we will end up with an incredibly shallow prayer life that only knows the life of a caterpillar and will never know the beauty of a butterfly. <laughs> but if we want to experience the transformative power of God in our lives, we've got to walk the path of repentance, as hard as it is. That starts with acknowledging God's loving kindness towards us, which then leads us to brutal honesty about our sins and our, the junk in our lives, but then moves us towards God's vision for where He wants us to be. He doesn't leave us in the brokenness of our sin, but He says, come walk with me, all the while remembering that it is God who does this. It's God's Holy Spirit in us who's working this out which produces in us then a soft and tender heart before him. I love the way the hymn writer put it. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. God, won't you seal it for thy courts above? In fact, can I, can I pray that over us here right now? We're gonna move into a time of prayer here in just a few moments, but I love to just wrap up this message and, and just pray this prayer over us. Holy Spirit of God, oh, we thank you so much for the vulnerability and the brokenness of David. Lord, when I look at the psalm, there, there's so much that resonates in my own personal soul. And my guess would be that there are others of us within our church family, when we read the psalm, there's something in us that says, oh, yeah, that, that's me, I need that. I need to be praying that. And so, Lord, I, I know, Lord, as the hymn writer put it, my, my heart is prone to wander. Oh, and do I feel it every day, multiple times a day. My, my heart just wants to go in different directions. My the, the sin seems to get the best of me on some days, and my flesh seems to overwhelm my spirit on other days. But Holy Spirit of God, in this moment, 
Lord, we don't want to pass you by in this moment. In this moment, we want to say, do whatever it is that you need to do. Whether, whether we're sitting on a couch, whether we're sitting at our dining table, our kitchen table, whether we're sitting you know, on the floor on a beanbag chair, wherever we're watching this, Holy Spirit of God, would you, would you just kind of jump out of the screen, if you will, or, or descend from, from heaven and just fall upon every home, upon every, uh, every heart that, that's watching this, that's listening, and, and do the work of heart transformation, metanoia, do that work, oh God, here today, this morning. Lord, start bringing us down that path of repentance so that we might be a people that say no to the things of this world, saying no to the things of our flesh, saying no to sin in order that we might move towards saying yes to you, God, yes to your kingdom, yes to the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, cause us to be those kinds of people here this morning. We look to you for all these things, It's in the strong name, the mighty name, the matchless name, the name that is above every name that we pray this prayer. Amen.